Okay, if you would, let's open our Bibles again to Genesis chapter 17. I titled the message this evening, Walking Before God. You know, the believers walk. That's a very popular topic in religion today, is that believers walk. Everybody wants somebody. The reason it's so popular is everybody wants the preacher to tell me what to do, what to do, what not to do, how to walk. And the believer's walk is obviously very important. But before we get to our walk, tonight I want to start with God. Let's start with him before whom we walk, and then we'll look at our walk, walking before God. Our text is just one verse, verse 1 of Genesis chapter 17. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me. And be thou perfect. Now at this point, it has been 25 years since the Lord appeared to Abram and told him to leave his father's house. Go to a land that I'll show you and I'll make of you a great nation. 25 years ago, God told that to Abraham. Well, Abraham's still living in a tent. Still, God's still, he's still meandering around, moving from place to place. And he and Sarah have no children. It's been 13 years. From, from Genesis chapter 16 to chapter 17, 13 years have passed since Ishmael was born. Abraham and Sarah still do not have the son God promised them. 13 years. They watched Ishmael grow up knowing this is not the son of promise. And now, Abraham's 99 years old. That's pretty old to be having children to raise, isn't it? <laughs> Well, why had God waited so long? You ever wonder that? Why does God wait so long? Well, I don't know all of God's reasons for doing what he does when he does them. There's a couple things I do know. Number one, I know that God does things in his time. His time is always the exact right time. God does things in the fullness of time. We read that in Scripture. In the fullness of time, something happens. And the biggest reason that I know of for God to wait so long before he does what he promises to do, before he accomplishes his will, is to make our faith be in him. In him. The Lord's going to wait until we have no power left in ourselves. The Lord's going to wait until we absolutely have no hope left in ourselves or in anything that we can do. Not till then will the Lord fulfill his promise. He's not going to fulfill his promise until he does it without any help from you and me. Until we're just, we're completely helpless. Look over 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I think this, this one or one or two verses here is a key to understanding the Lord's timing and when he does what he does, why he waits so long. Verse 29 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. The Lord waits often so that no flesh will glory in his presence. So we give God all the credit and all the glory for doing what he does. The Lord is not going to move in grace. 
until we're absolutely convinced the only way we can be saved is by pure grace. God does not show his omnipotence until he teaches us our impotence. It's got to be of him. When did, when did the Lord tell Israel, now stand still and see the salvation of God? Not till they were trapped at the Red Sea and all hope of human escape was gone. Then the Lord fulfilled his, his purpose. And we need to remember that in God's dealings with us. God has not changed. And man hadn't changed either. Our flesh hasn't changed either. Before God ever saves anybody, before he saves you and me, he's going to teach us our complete dependence upon him. He's going to teach us our complete dependence on his power to save, on his grace to save the unworthy. Now that brings me to the name that the Lord used when he appeared to Abraham this time. This is the first time this name is used in scripture. The name, the Almighty God. This is one of God's names, the Almighty God. The Hebrew name for that is El Shaddai. That's the first time it's been used here. And different times when the Lord appeared, it was under different names. This time it's El Shaddai. And the name has several meanings. And each one of them make me glad this is my God. First, El Shaddai means Almighty God. The God who has all the might and all the power. Nobody else has any. He has it all. So there's nothing too hard for God to do. God promised Abraham and Sarah they'd have a son together, not with a handmaid, but together from Sarah's womb. And it simply doesn't matter that Abraham's 99 years old. It doesn't matter that Sarah's 90 years old. It doesn't matter that Sarah went through menopause many years ago. Nothing is too hard for the Almighty God. Nothing is. Look over a page of Genesis 18. In case we can't figure this out, this is he tells us this. The Lord has again appeared to, to Abraham in verse 9. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Sarah didn't say this out loud. or This is all just going on inside her mind. Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No, there's nothing too hard for the Almighty God. At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. See, nothing's too hard for God. Sarah's dead womb, Abraham's dead body, nothing, nothing's going to stop God. He has all power. He's going to accomplish his purpose. Now remember, God hadn't changed. This God talking to Abraham, making this promise to Abraham, is God our Savior. Our Savior has all power. Now, he's promised that he's going to save a people from their sin. He's promised to give eternal life to, the, to a dead people. They're born dead in sin, but he's promised to give them eternal life. Making a 90-year-old woman conceive with her 99-year-old husband, that's child's play. 
compared to putting sin away. I mean, that's just a, that's a child's play con, uh, compared to giving eternal spiritual life to a dead rebel. And you think, well, they're they're spread out all over the world. They they they, they hate the gospel. They hate Christ. They they can't hear. They 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 can't see. They're going the wrong way. They're... Hang on a minute. Nothing's too hard for God. Nothing's too hard for God. If He's promised to save a people, He'll do it. He'll do, he'll cross their path with the gospel and he'll give them a heart to believe it. He'll give them a nature to believe it. He'll make them believe. Just as surely as he gave physical life to that baby Isaac, God's going to save his people from their sin. Nothing can stop. He has all power. The second name that Al Shaddai means is the overpowerer. The overpowerer. I type out my notes. Uh, Microsoft Word does not like that name. Overpowerer. But that, that's, that's it. It's not an English word, I guess, but everybody knows God knows exactly what that means. Overpower. God has all power over any opposition. None can oppose him. None can stay his hand or say to him, what doest thou? God promised that Sarah would have a son. Now she's 90 years old. This is problematic, isn't it? With their old age, and Sarah's dead womb are no opposition to God. None whatsoever. Sarah's going to conceive and give birth to a child anyway. Because our God is the overpower. Now remember, this is God our Savior. Our Savior is the overpower. Our sin is a powerful enemy. Powerful. We can't pay for it. We can't quit it. We can't wash it away. But Christ the overpowerer came and by the shedding of his perfect blood washed it white as snow. Our spiritual darkness is a powerful enemy. We cannot give ourselves life. But Christ the overpowerer comes and he puts life into his people. He uses the seed of the word of God and plants it in their heart and gives them a new heart, a new nature to make them live eternally. Our, our spiritual darkness, our spiritual blindness is a powerful, powerful enemy. You can bring people, make them sit under the best gospel preachers you can find anywhere. And they can preach and preach and preach and preach and preach at them and they cannot break through. They can't break through that, that, that cold, dead, stony heart. They can't break through that darkness and that blindness. And one day... The light goes on and they see and they believe and they love the Savior. Well, what happened? Well, the overpowerer showed up. Well, just the preacher is the overpowerer. And he overpowered and the light shined in darkness and they saw. The law is a powerful enemy to us. All the law can do to us is condemn us because we can't keep it. The law demands we be condemned. And there's no way around it. God's just. That sentence must be carried out. Doesn't look like there's any way around it, does it? Not until Christ the overpower showed up. And he took the law out of the way. Nailing it to his cross because he obeyed the law perfectly. And as the representative of his people, he obeyed the law. And made them perfect in him. And then he died. He took the sin of his people and he died paying the penalty 
of sin. Paying the penalty that the law demanded. There must be death for sin. Christ died for the sin of his people. So now the law and the just and God's justice, they're satisfied. They're not hunting God's people anymore. They're satisfied in the death of Christ and the obedience of Christ. Christ, our overpower, took the law out of the way. Now you don't come to God through the law, but through Christ, through, through him. And then physical death. Physical death is a powerful enemy. We can't stop it. We cannot stop it from killing our bodies. But Christ, our overpower, he conquered death. When he died for his people, he conquered death. Christ took the sting of death away from his people. So that when our bodies still die, there's no sting. There's no harm. I know when uh, next time we get together at the funeral home, and we'll weep and, and we'll cry, we'll sorrow, we'll be broken hearted. But if the departed is a believer, we're not, we're not crying for them now. We're not crying for them. We're crying for ourselves. The one that's, the one that's got the hard road to hoe is one left. The one left to deal with this world of sin and grossness and body of sin. And that's the one that's got the hard thing. There is no harm to the believer in death whatsoever. Matter of fact, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. I know it's not a blessing for the family left behind. I'm not saying that. I'm saying for the believer, it's a blessing to leave this world of sin. I tell Janet all the time, I watch the news. I don't know why I keep doing it every night, but I do. I watch the news and I tell her, stop the world. I want to get off. One day I will. To be taken out of this world of sin. And bigger yet, to be taken out of this body of sin. Oh, and to go be with the Lord, made just like Him. You know why He can do that? Because He's the overpower. He overpowered death to make even death a blessing for His people. Then third, the name El Shaddai means the all-sufficient one. The Lord Jesus Christ is the all-sufficient one. He is everything that we need in order to be saved. And I said that just the way I wanted to say it. He is everything we need in order to be saved. It's not just that he's done everything that's required in order for his people to be saved. And he has. But I like saying it better this way. He personally is everything we need in order to be saved. He personally is everything that a sinner needs. Salvation is not just checking a bunch of boxes and, you know, like when you, when you go travel to another country and you pull out your passport and your visa and stuff and they're checking all these boxes and you know they just let you go on in i mean all this is just a piece of paper you know i went to mexico and they check all those things off and i walk through the airport and go out there if walter and cody hadn't been there i wouldn't have the slightest clue what was going on i mean i had this piece of paper but i don't belong there i do not belong there can't speak the language. I don't know the customs. I don't know the people. I don't, I don't belong there. Salvation is not just checking a bunch of boxes and sending you on your way because just because you got a piece of paper, you don't belong. In Christ, we belong. He's made his people belong. He is all we need in order to belong, in order to belong in his kingdom. 
His blood is sufficient to wash away our sin. We don't have to do anything to help it. His blood is sufficient. His righteousness is sufficient to make his people the very righteousness of God in him. We don't need to help that out now. He is our righteousness. Christ alone is sufficient to save his people without any help from them. And Christ alone is sufficient to keep his people saved. To keep them saved. It's all in him. Christ is sufficient to teach his people. To reveal himself to his people. Christ is sufficient to comfort the hearts of his people. For those who are broken hearted. That's my constant prayer for them. That Christ would give them a special portion of his presence. He's sufficient comfort the hearts of his people see this is why it makes me glad this is our God El Shaddai the almighty God the overpowerer the all sufficient one he comes and talks to Abraham they're they're speaking here the almighty God is talking to Abraham and he tells Abraham and all his people this is who I am I'm the almighty God now you walk before me and be perfect The center margin there says this word perfect means complete or sincere. And I'm not sure where they got that. I mean, I think I do know where they got it, but anyway. This Hebrew word translated perfect here is used 91 times in the Old Testament. Two times it's translated sincere. Just two times. And it shouldn't have been translated sincere in either of those times. The Hebrew word, it means innocent. It means complete and it means whole. It means to be perfectly holy. It means to be without sin. And here's the reason I say this word never should have been translated sincere. It's because God's not going to save us based on our sincerity. No, you can be sincere as you want. You can be very sincere and still be lost. The Jews were, weren't they? Oh, very sincere. I mean, their sincerity and dedication of their religion would put us to shame, honestly. They were very sincere. They are so sincere about their works religion. They're so sin- sincere about their, their ceremonies, which was just a work. I mean, you show up and you go through the ceremony and, you know, you're saved. God blesses you and all these things, you know. They were so sincere about this works religion. But they were sincerely wrong about how God saves sinners. The same thing's true about religious people today. People are sincere. I mean, I really, they're most of them, I, you know, they're, they're not out there playing games. They're sincere. But they're dead wrong. And a holy God is never going to save anybody based on their sincerity. Now, all that being said, believers are sincere, aren't they? Aren't, they? aren't you sincere about believing that you need a Savior? We're, we're sincere. I am sincere. I need a Savior, and the only Savior of sinners there is is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm very sincere about that. I'm not playing games. I'm not making up stories when I tell you I need to be saved from my sin. I need a Savior. And Christ is the only one who saved me. We're sincere, aren't we? About believing that the only righteousness that there is is Christ. He's our only righteousness. We can't earn a righteousness by the law. Now, believers are sincere in that way. 
But aren't you thankful God's not going to save you or keep you saved based on your sincerity? Because we're still in the flesh. And while we're sincere about believing, now, I need a Savior. I need Christ. He's the only one that can save me. Yet self-righteousness constantly is cropping up in us. Self-righteousness is constantly popping up its ugly head. And we find ourselves just maybe not quite as sincere as we ought to be. Well, I'm thankful. God doesn't accept sincerity. He does not going to accept our best efforts. They're full of sin. A holy God can only accept perfection. The meaning of the word he used here with Abraham. Perfection. Without sin. Now, the only way a person who's a sinner, who's already broken God's laws, a sinner by birth, sinner by choice, and sinner by practice, the only way that sinner can ever be perfect is by being found in Christ. It's the only way. So here's what the Lord's telling Abraham and us. Quit trusting in your works and trust in Christ. It's the only way to be perfect before God. The only way that we can be perfect before Almighty God, this God who has the power to see and to know everything, the only way we can walk before Him and be perfect is by faith in Christ, by believing and trusting Christ. Okay, so here's El Shaddai, the Almighty God, the overpower, the sufficient one, tells us to walk before Him in perfection, in faith. Now, what does that mean? Does the scripture, can you give me an answer from scripture? What does that mean to walk before God? Well, I can give you six and I'll give them to you very quickly. Different scriptures on walking with God. Now, look over to Hebrews chapter 11. While you're turning there, I'm going to read, read to you the verse that's quoted in Hebrews 11. From Genesis 5 verse 24. And Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. He did what the Lord told Abraham to do. He walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now what on earth does that mean? How is it that, that Enoch could walk with God and, and not be found? He didn't die. He was translated. into how, how, how could that be? Well, the writer to the Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. It was not found because God had translated him. Before, for before he had his, before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, how is it that Enoch walked with God and pleased God? Verse six. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Enoch walked with God and he, this is how he pleased God. Is by faith. And you notice the writer doesn't say here, Enoch pleased God. It's by faith Enoch pleased God. Enoch only pleased God by faith in Christ, by believing Christ and trusting Christ, resting in Christ, and God's the one who had to give him that faith. See, it's not Enoch, it's, it's, it's belief in Christ. See, Almighty God is only pleased with His Son. He's only pleased with the Savior that God's provided. He's only pleased with the righteousness that God provided. Well, he provided him. And he's only pleased with everyone who has faith in that Savior, who has faith in that Christ, because they're confident. All it takes to save me is Christ. 
That's the faith that God gave them. They believe that. And God's telling us, live your life that way. By faith in Christ. By believing Christ. You know, Enoch was, uh, I mean, I, I know the world was, was very different than it is now, but a lot of things were the same. Enoch was a family man. He had a family to raise. He had a wife and children. And he had a job, a farm, a something, you know, to, he had to do to put food on the table. Enoch did all those things, just, just like we have to do them today. You know, in a different world without technologies and cars and things, but he had a job. He had a family. He had the, you know, community he, he was part of. Yet, he did all those things walking with God. Because he did those things trusting Christ. And I know I say this all the time. I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but um, we should live our daily lives. You've got jobs. You've got families. You've got responsibilities in this life. And you better take care of them now. You, you, you have to take care of them. But do those things depending on Christ. Depending on Him. Work, work hard, but don't, but don't think that your, uh, your future and your retirement and all these things are all based upon your efforts. Do, be wise, do the, but trust the Lord to provide. See what I'm saying? We live by faith, trusting Christ to be everything that we need. At all times, in every situation, no matter where we go. We live by faith. Never trusting our works of the law to make us blessed of God, but always trusting Christ that we'd be blessed in Him. All right, here's the second thing. Look at Genesis chapter 6. We walk before God by union with Christ. Genesis 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Now the thing everybody in the world knows about Noah is this. Noah built an ark. Noah was saved from drowning in the, in the, in the flood of God's wrath against sin because Noah was in the ark. He built the ark and God put him in the ark. Now the rain, God's wrath against Noah's sin, fell just like it did on everybody else. Everybody else that drowned. One difference. That wrath, that water of God's wrath that fell on Noah's sin fell on the ark, not on Noah. And that's how Noah was saved alive because he was in the ark. The ark bore the punishment that Noah deserved. And that's how the whole story of the ark is given to us. It's a picture of salvation. Sinners are saved against from God's wrath. We're saved from God. We're saved from God's wrath. We're saved from our sin, not by being in the right church, not by being in the right denomination, not by doing X, Y, and Z right. It's by being in Christ. In Christ. You see, God is just. God has an elect people that He chose to save, but now God's not going to save them apart from His justice. God's not going to, He's not going to violate His justice in order to show mercy. God's wrath against the sin of His elect still fell, didn't it? except it fell on Christ our substitute, not on His people. Instead of God's elect, all that wrath fell upon Christ our Savior and He took it all. He shielded His people from all of it. God must punish sin. Well, He has. 
The sin of his elect has been punished in Christ our substitute. And now God's justice, instead of demanding our condemnation, demands that we go free. See, salvation is in Christ. It's by being in him. The only way a sinner can be righteous is by being in Christ. Doing what he did. The very same way we are made sinners. How is it we are made sinners? By being in Adam. When Adam fell, we fell. When Adam sinned, we sinned. Well, how is it a sinner can be made righteous? By being in Christ. When he obeyed the law, so did we. When he died to sin, so did we. In him. Now, God's commandment to us is to be perfect. Well, the only way we can be perfect is by being found in Christ. In Christ. Arthur Pink said this about that, the, the way this is, is said in our text. Walk before me. Pink said it's like a child walking before his father. And that child plays and just is a child. At with absolutely no worry about anything going on around him. Because my father's right here. I'm within eyeshot of my father. He's, and this is what the Lord's saying. Walk before him as a child. Do what you do. What you got to do with the responsibilities that God's giving you in this life. Knowing I'm in eyesight of my father. I'm in Christ. I got no worries. There's nothing here that can harm me. I'm walking before my father as a child in Christ. All right, number three, look at Leviticus chapter 26. We walk before God in the obedience of faith. Leviticus 26, verse 3. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season. And the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield, yield their fruit. Now, God tells us here, walk in my statutes. And if you do, if you walk in my statutes, you'll be blessed. Well, first problem I see is, right off, we're already sinners. <laughs> We already haven't been walking in God's statutes. Any hope that we have of saying I've kept God's law is long gone. And it's just absurd to think that any sinner can be blessed of God because of our obedience. It's just absurd. This is nothing more contrary to grace that I can think of. Well, then how is it that we can walk before God in this perfection? It's in the obedience of faith. The commandment of Scripture, the commandment of the gospel of Christ is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, well, what about the law? You know why God gave us the law? Not so we could keep it and earn a righteousness and God will bless us because we've kept the law. God gave us the law to show the sinfulness of sin. That's the way Paul said it, the sinfulness of sin. To show us it's impossible for us to keep the law. And to show us we desperately need Christ. We need Him to come and keep the law for us. We need Him to die, to pay our sin debt for us, because we can't do it. The only way we can be perfect before God is to trust Christ. Trust Him to be your, your perfection. Without you adding one thing to Him, 
One, he, he's it. He's all you got. If you trust Christ like that, that's the commandment of Scripture. You're blessed. You're blessed because God's already given you the faith to believe Christ. I now look at 1 Kings chapter 2. It's the fourth thing. We walk before God in truth. 1 Kings chapter 2. In verse 4. That the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me. Saying if thy children take heed to their way. To walk before me in truth. With all their heart and with all their soul. There shall not fail thee. Said he. A man on the throne of Israel. Now the only way we can be perfect before the Lord. Is to walk before him in truth. You know. God help us. God help this to, to remain true. We're not playing games here. I'm not willing to play games with your soul and my soul. We're not playing games here. We're not trying to fool anybody. I mean, you know, I just, uh, I've seen enough religious games and hypocrisy and trying to fool people into thinking we are what, what we're not. We're not playing games here now. The only way to walk before God in truth is believing I'm ruined in sin. I'm dead in sin. There's no hope of salvation in any of my works. and something that I do or something that I refrain from doing. That's true. I truly need Christ to be all of my salvation. I need Him to do all of the saving. I, I, if He leaves me one iota one ion of anything to do. I'll be damned. I need him to do it all. I need him to do all the keeping of me saved. Salvation is not being a religious hypocrite now. God help us to not do that. What good does it accomplish to fool people into thinking how good and religious we are and then appear before the judgment seat of Christ where there's no hypocrisy, where there's no hiding anything? Salvation is truly believing in Christ. It's truly loving Him from a new heart and a new nature that only God can give. And if you find yourself being this religious hypocrite and you just, you're just playing games, I'm telling you, stop and ask God to give you this new heart. Ask God to give you this. this. Salvation is truly believing Christ. Alright, fifth, look at Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. We walk before God in reverence. Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 9. Also I said, it's not good that you do. Ought you not to walk in the fear and the reverence of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies. This is not good. Ought we not walk before God in fear, in reverence of this awesome person, the Almighty God? This name that God appeared to Abraham, El Shaddai, the Almighty God. The Lord's not my buddy. He's not my equal. He's not my co-partner or pilot. And he's not my partner 
And this thing of, of salvation, he's not my partner. You know, I do as much as I can do and then he'll do the rest. The Lord is my king. He's the almighty God. And he does with me as he pleases. Now, I'm very thankful it's pleased him. It's pleased him to save me by his grace. And I revere him. Don't you? I revere him. I desire to give him honor and, and glory and reverence at what he's done for me. Just You can live your life in reverence to God without coming off like a religious hypocrite. You know, in reverence to God. And part of this is, I, this is the way I think about it, part of this reverence, there is a fear. There's a, uh, I have a, I, I'm full of fear. I have a great fear before I preach that I'll tell the truth, that, uh, that I'll get out of the way, that my flesh won't get in the way, that, that, uh, rightly divide the word of truth and be able to point people to Christ. I have a great fear of that. And I have a fear of displeasing my God. And not because I'm afraid he's going to punish me, not because I'm afraid he's going to kill my wife or take away my house or something. It's not, my sins have already been punished in Christ. I'm not afraid of punishment. This is my great fear of bringing dishonor upon my Savior. That's a reference for him. All right, then last, look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We walk before God by continuing in Christ. You know, the only way we can walk before God is by being in Christ. We walk before God by continuing to walk in Christ. Colossians 2, verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now continue walking in Christ. How is it that you first came to Christ? Well, you first came to Christ. If you're a believer, you came to Christ trusting Him. You came trusting Him to be everything that God required of you. And you are real happy about it. Because you know you are nothing and you can do nothing. You are so happy, found such sweet relief to be able to trust in Christ and give up all your works. Well, now maybe you've sat here under the gospel a long, long time. You've heard a lot of preaching. You've heard a lot of gospel. You've read, read a lot of the word. And you've grown. Hopefully, have, no, hopefully we grow in grace and knowledge. Well, now that you've got a little bit of growth, now that God's taught you a little something, now that you're one of the older ones, don't start thinking you've grown so much and learned so much, now you can be a little bit self-sufficient, whereas these babes in Christ can. Don't start thinking now there's something that you can do. You know you can't do something to add to your salvation, but don't think that there's something you can do to keep it. Don't think there's just something you can do to make your, your situation in, in heaven better like God's going to give you some sort of reward or something. We continue like we started. How did you start? Trusting Christ to be your all and so happy to do it. Now continue that way. Continue trusting Christ as your all and being so thankful that you can. Because after all these years that God's taught you, you know you're still nothing and you still can do nothing. So we continue trusting in Christ. Now that's walking before the Almighty God and being perfect. 
It's beginning in Christ. It's walking in Christ. It's staying in Christ. And it'll end arriving in glory in Christ. All right. Let's bow together. Our Father, we thank you for this passage of your word that we could look into. Oh, how we thank you for revealing yourself to your people by this name, the Almighty God. Father, we know that you're able to save. We know that you're able to keep. We know that you're able to comfort. You have all power. You can, you will do whatever it is that your will is to do. And Father, we pray that your will would be to be merciful, that you'd be merciful to this people, that, that you'd reveal yourself to those that don't know you, that you'd speak to the hearts and strengthen those that, of the, the heart that, that does believe you. Comfort our hearts. Establish us in the faith. And keep us walking in and trusting in and glorying in Christ our Savior. It's in his precious name. For his sake and his glory we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.